and um, we're, we're excited today. We're excited because we get to worship and we get to, to sing praises, to study the Word of God, um, but we have something uh, extra special today. We're going to be able to um, have a few baptisms as we, uh, at the end of our service today as we celebrate um, some brothers and sisters who've trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior and want to make that public profession uh, before all of you. So we're, we're excited to be able to celebrate that. Um, I'm a little nervous because we've never done it in here before, so uh, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. I, uh, I, before we open up Philippians chapter 2 together, I also want to just mention um, that we have our candlelight service tonight at 7 p.m. I know many of you will be traveling and that sort of thing, but if you're around, we would love to have you join us. It'll be a little bit shorter service. Uh, sort of a, 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 if, if you've never been to it, it's just more of a quiet, solemn service, and it's just really special to be able to end the night as we kind of circle around with the candles, dim the lights, and get to sing Silent Night together. Um, it's a great way to enter into Christmas uh, just with our minds and hearts uh, continually focused on Jesus, lifting up his name. So we want to invite you to join us tonight at 7 p.m. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to finish this section here today. Uh, as, we've been, as we've been circling this discussion on humility and how it points us to Jesus and how his life and, and death upon the cross embodied humility. And we, we come now in these last couple of verses to see the exaltation of the Messiah. We've been talking about the Messiah and his, his humble circumstances, his humble life, the, the model of humility throughout his life, and then, of course, the ultimate expression of his humility and love and going to the cross, we saw that last week. And here now we're going to see his exaltation. And that passage that Ben read for us, it, it finishes here in verses 9 through 11 with this exaltation, with the glory of Jesus. You know, God specializes in unexpected endings. I don't know if you're the kind of person who likes to read a book or, or watch a movie and just have that, that twist at the end or find out that, that the, the main character has has been brought through these ordeals and these trials and these difficulties only to get this unexpected honor at the end. One of my favorite, and you've heard me say this before, one of my favorite book series is The Chronicles of Narnia. C.S. Lewis wrote so many years ago, and I know they're written for kids, but I, I don't know how many times I've read the series, and it still captures my heart. And every single book, at some point during the book, it brings a tear to my eye. I get choked up at different points, the way that Lewis illustrates and brings to bear the, the message of the gospel and the Christ figure found in Aslan, the lion, to bear on the story. And one of the stories that is, uh, I can't remember what book number it is, maybe four or five, is a, a book called The Horse and His Boy. And, and it's about a boy named Shasta. And Shasta is a, a, a slave boy working for a cruel, cruel man in in um, some faraway lands, that he, and he's never felt quite at home. He, he's, he knows that this isn't his father, but this is the only life he's ever known. But he just knows in his heart of hearts that he doesn't belong here. And through a series of events early on in the story, he and a, and a talking horse who's from Narnia decide to escape and go back to Narnia where the horse is from. And all the while throughout the story and their different mishaps and the unfortunate events that happen and the setbacks and being uh, chased and, and, and fearing for his life, fearing recapture and brought back into slavery, Shasta feel his, feels his heart continuously drawn towards Narnia. 
in, in, the, in the story, I don't want to ruin it for you if you haven't read it, but the, the, the story finishes with him arriving back in Narnia, and he's so glad to be in this place, and he, he finally feels at home. But as the story concludes, there, there's some whispering among the, the king's family, the royalty, and he noticed how he, he looks uncannily like, like the prince of that, of that, that world, that, that country, Narnia. And they discovered that, that the prince's twin brother had been kidnapped and taken away when he was but an infant. And they assumed he was dead. He was never seen or heard from again. And all of a sudden, as the story concludes, you realize that, that Shasta is this long-lost prince. And his heart has always longed for home. He just didn't know where it was. And so the story begins, and he's a slave, and he's, he's accursed, and he's hated, and treated like dirt and filth. And he grows up kind of thinking that that's, that's what he is. But all the while, he's royalty, and he doesn't even know it. And the story concludes with the, this, this beautiful homecoming and this welcoming into the royal family after all that he had gone through. And one of the things that Aslan tells him at the end of the story as he says, when things go wrong, you'll find they usually go on getting worse for some time. But when, when things once start going right, they often go on getting better and better. You see, in our story that we find in, in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus has humbled himself and he's done so voluntarily. And his, his his humility and his service, he says, is, is the way up. It's the way of honor. But once it gets to the point of the cross, you wonder, are you sure about this, Jesus? Like, you're going to the cross, you're pouring out your life. Are you sure this is the way to honor and exaltation? It seems like, just as Aslan said at the end of the story, it seems like Things are getting worse and worse, and maybe there's not going to be a, a turning point. Sometimes when we take the path of humility, sometimes it can seem like we're getting beat up. Sometimes it can seem like we're taken advantage of, and, and, and we can get frustrated and hurt along the way. And sometimes we wonder, where's God in this picture? And is there going to be a turn of events at all in this story? Philippians chapter 2 reminds us that there, there, there is. For those who turn their back on pride and live a life of humble service, we see from the very example of Jesus that there is an honor bestowed upon us from God. If you're taking notes, the first thing I want to just briefly point out is the reason for the Messiah's exaltation. And I say briefly is because this is what we've been talking about now for the last several weeks. Verse 5 begins with the word, therefore. Therefore, for this reason... God has highly exalted him. For what reason? Well, his humble estate and his willingness to go to the cross for you and for me. God has highly exalted him because he's chosen this route. God's brought him honor and glory because he was willing to go and be obedient even to the cross. And what's really interesting, and, and we could talk a lot about this, but the Bible talks about how God honors those who are faithful. The Bible teaches this thing called rewards in Scripture. As if it's not enough that we get to spend eternity in the presence of God, as if it's not enough to be adopted as His sons and daughters, to be united with Jesus Christ, to have all blessings from the heavenlies poured out upon us. If that's not enough, 
He promises that he's going to honor those who walk faithfully with him. Proverbs 22, 4 says, Humility, the fear of the Lord, results in wealth, honor, and life. We don't know what that always is going to look like. More often, it's, it's after we've gone into the presence of God that we, we find that honor come to fruition. But God promises that faithfulness and humility will be honored by him. Elsewhere in Scripture, several times we're told that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The reason for the Messiah's exaltation is because of the humble path he took to the cross. The sacrificial journey for you and for me. But the second thing that we see here from verse 9 is the nature of the Messiah's exaltation. It says, for this reason... God has highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name. Now that word that's translated highly exalted, it's only used here in the New Testament. It means to be lifted to the highest position possible, raised to the loftiest height. I just, um, I picture maybe being in a crowd when my kids were really little and, and we're watching something but they can't see because they're too short. And they ask if they can, they can get on my shoulders so they can look over the crowd and see what's going on. I get them as high as I could. I'm not that tall of a guy. I can stand on my tippy toes a little bit. But I'm going to get them as high up in the air as they can safely and possibly be so that they can see what's happening. Jesus has been highly exalted. He's been lifted to the highest possible position, raised to the loftiest heights because of his humility. Hebrews 2.9 says this, but we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. Jesus is given glory and honor because he chose to humbly go to the cross for you and for me. Now, if we're not reading carefully or if we pull this passage out of context, there's a way of looking at this that, that indicates that maybe Jesus wasn't exalted until he came to earth as a man and then, and then went to the cross. But that's not the case. He didn't somehow become more God or more favorable to the Father because of his obedient sacrifice. Jesus has always been the Son of God. Jesus did not become the Son of God for the first time in his resurrection or in the ascension. Jesus has always been Lord. He's always been the second person of the Trinity. There was never a time when he was not Lord and then became Lord. That's not what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He's not saying that Jesus was one time not Lord and now he is Lord. Now you're given the name Lord because of what you've done. Jesus has always been Lord, even as he's always been the word of the Father. It's just that now, in flesh, he's appeared, and in his flesh, he rendered such a service to God, publicly acknowledged, that, that God publicly acknowledged him and pronounced him to be Lord. He declared him as his son, declared him as the king of kings. One writer says his resurrection and ascension to the Father's right hand made his superiority more fully evident to the creation over which he rules. And Paul here is telling us that God 
does this precisely because of what Jesus has done with his humble service. He didn't change his position with God, but it became widespread. It became publicly known. Just in the hor- as in the horse and the boy, Shasta was always a prince. Just People didn't know it. And then it became revealed and, and people began to publicly realize and acknowledge that he's the prince, the, the one to be king one day. Jesus was exalted in his position through his humility. But he goes on to say that his name was exalted. His name was lifted high. He gave him a name that's above every name. Some of us like to name drop people we know. We live in Clare, so we don't bump into a, you know, Clare County, so we don't bump into a whole lot of celebrities around here. But some of us, some of us have sightings at airports, or maybe, maybe you went to a, a concert or a sporting event and you got to meet one of your heroes, maybe got a picture taken with them. We love to, to throw that around, tell the story, share the picture, let people know. It's, it's kind of cool to know somebody famous or to bump into somebody famous. But how much better is the name of Jesus How much more glorious and exalted, the creator, the king of kings, and he knows you. You could take a a selfie with your favorite pop star at the airport, and they will probably completely forget the encounter, unless you commit a misdemeanor or something in the process. They might remember it. I don't know. But Jesus... The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who reigns over all, who has formed you, this world and everything in it, he knows your name. And his name is the name that above all names, it will will last forever, forever and ever. Athletes and movie stars, they come and they go, but Jesus Christ is the one who was and is and forever will be. My brothers and sisters, he is the one whose name, the exalted one, that we must know. Scripture tells us about his names. I just want to, I want to read some of them to you. Some will be familiar to you, others may be new. Jesus Christ is the wonderful counselor the mighty God, the everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace, the Messiah, the first and the last. He's the beginning of and and the Alpha and Omega, the Ancient of Days, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is God with us, God our Savior, the only wise God, the Lord who is, who was, and who is to come. He is the Almighty, the Door of the Sheep, the Chief Shepherd and the Good Shepherd the shepherd and bishop of our souls. He is the lamb without spot or blemish. He's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He is the logos, the light of the world, the light of life, the tree of life, the word of life, the bread of life, the resurrection, the way, the truth, and the life. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the rock, the bridegroom, the wisdom of God, our Redeemer. He is the Beloved. He is head over all things, which is the church. He is the one who is altogether lovely. 
He is the one in whom the Father is well pleased, and he is Lord. May his name be more precious to us than to any other. And thirdly, we see then the response to the Messiah's exaltation. God has highly exalted him, gave him a name that's above every name. And verse 10, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Bible says that one day every knee will bow and all tongues will confess the sovereign lordship of Jesus Christ. Now this isn't teaching that everybody will one day be saved. I don't believe it's teaching that at all. When you look at the rest of scripture... The Bible is very clear that only those who believe in him, only those who in this life embrace him as their Lord and Savior through faith, only those will experience life eternal in his presence. But there will come a day at at his second coming, at the last judgment, when whether by in joy and in celebration and in hope, and in gratitude, and in awe, and in wonder, or begrudgingly, and in despair, some with fists still shaking at him, all knees will bow. The Bible says that there will be no one who's left standing in the corner, no one who gets to opt out in that day. All knees will bow before him and his greatness in his awe. And I don't know about you, but I want to be up on the side of those who are worshiping him in joy, knowing that we're about to spend forever in his presence. And it only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 45, the prophet beckoned to Israel to be among those who come yet in this life, who choose to worship now. And he says, speak up and present your case. Yes, let them consult with each other. Who predicted this long ago? Who announced it from ancient times? Was it not I, the Lord? There is no other God but me, a righteous God and Savior. There is no one except me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I pray this morning... That if you haven't turned to him, you will. That you join the worshipers. Join the redeemed in exalting Jesus above all other names. And then finally here in the text we see the purpose of the Messiah's exaltation. The end of verse 11 we see that all of this is to the glory of God the Father. To the glory of God the Father. You see, what we're really talking about here is worship. And it's mind-blowing to think about this, but worshiping Christ gives glory to God the Father. And, and, And it seems strange to think how all this relates to humility. When we start with lowliness, and then all of a sudden we end up with with voices resounding to exaltation and glory being given to God. Well, the Apostle Paul says that Christ is going to be exalted above all else and all glory is going to go to God. 
And there'll be no room for those who are still trying to heap it upon themselves, who are trying to be the center of exaltation, who are trying to be the center of attention. If you want to take the path of Jesus, if you want to see exaltation, if you want the reward, if you want the blessing in the age to come, the age that will not pass away, the new heavens and the new earth, it's only found through a faith relationship with God, through faith in Jesus Christ. It's only found through humbling yourself in this life will you find exaltation in the next. But the, here's the deal. At the end of the day, it's all for the glory of God. It all points back to the Father so that His name may be lifted high. So as we think about what this text means for us, here's our, here's our response to what God's saying. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. One of the best Christmas songs ever written. Maybe, maybe second to O Holy Night. In O Holy Night, we hear those words. We just sang them. Fall on your knees. Why? Why do we sing that? Because we recognize that we're coming before the Son of God who humbled himself, who was willing to re be ridiculed, who was be willing to go through hell for you and for me. It's because he has humbled himself in this way that he is given by the Father a name that is above every name. So that at his name every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Sometimes, sometimes we complicate worship. This worship that he's talking about will reach its crescendo on that day at the second coming. But it points us to what we're called to right now. Right now, to live this life before the one who is exalted above all, to live a life of worship. And sometimes we complicate that, or we, we narrow our definition. Sometimes we talk about worship like that's what happens here on Sunday mornings. I want you to know, if you don't know already, that we don't need this room to worship. You don't have to wait until next Sunday to worship. We're called to live a life of awe and wonder before God. Your worship can look like a hundred different things and take place in, a, in any place you find yourself. In fact, what I'm saying and what I think Scripture is saying is that it should take place. If we're not worshiping outside these walls, chances are what we're doing inside these walls isn't worship. It's going through the motions. It's singing song words that are up on a screen. The, the most important part of worship is not really what happens Sunday morning. It's what happens Monday through Saturday as, as you prepare to come here. It's your daily life. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says that. Your life is a, is a sacrifice, an act of worship before God, of laying down. It's in your conversations with Him. Yes, it's in the music you, you listen to, good, good music, good lyrics that, that offer up adoration and praise to God, but it's, it's in your conversations. It's in the things that 
you turn around in your mind and you meditate upon. It's in the things that you talk to your kids about. Anytime we're lifting up the name of Jesus in our thoughts, our actions, our words, we're worshiping. We don't have to complicate it. You don't need musical instruments. We don't need a room full of people. We don't have to have your favorite song. Worship is simply making much of Jesus. Sort of like when you're, you're out maybe in the woods or a ball game and you've got the nosebleed seats and you get out a pair of binoculars. And when you look through those binoculars, all of a sudden what you're looking at is made much larger in your vision. All of a sudden you can see that person or that object much more clearly. That, that's what worship is. It's, it's choosing to, to put your binoculars on Jesus. It's to, to turn your eyes upon Christ and to see his bigness, to see the things that he's doing and who he is. It's to see that and to let your mind linger there. And offer up those words that, you're, that are coming to you. Or just sit in silence because you can't even find the words. That's worship. Worship begins with a heart posture. And that's why Paul started where he did way back in, in verse 1. He says, listen, the path to worship begins with making less of me and more of him. And the less I'm focused on myself, the more I'm able to focus on others and on him. And the more quickly we find ourselves on this path to exaltation. I agree, it doesn't make sense. The world tells us, and common sense tells us, that if, if I want to get to the top, I got I to gotta work my way to the top. I got to do the things that that get me there, making more money, working harder, get more education, climb and claw, maybe leave a few people under the bus along the way, whatever it takes to get there. And Jesus says, that's not my way. My way is humbling yourself. If you want to be exalted, you humble yourself. In fact, I'm going to show you how to do it. I'm going to come to this earth. And I'm going to show you the most humble possible life. Humility that extends even to death. Being crucified as an innocent one for the guilty. And it's that path that brings, that brought Jesus exaltation. And it's the path of humility that will lead you to a place of the honor of God. I'm excited here this morning that we have some folks who, who want to share with you that commitment to exalt Jesus in their life. So if you're getting baptized this morning and you're not quite ready, now's the time to go to the bathroom, make sure you're all ready to get in the water and get wet. And uh, we're, just, we're, we're glad you're here to be able to celebrate this. Um, the, we have the opportunity to be able to make this commitment. And, and I want to pray right now, and, and then uh, we're gonna, um, 
our worship team's going to lead us in a worship song. And then we have a few more things we want to say about baptism. Um, but we're, we're excited to be able to, to have um, these kids and these adults make this commitment to show, I, I, want, I want Jesus up here and I want to be down here. I want, I want Jesus to get the spotlight and I, I want to walk humbly with Jesus so that he can get the glory in my life. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, at this Christmas season, I pray that you would redirect our hearts and minds, give us a, give us a focus, a, a clarity, a, a conscious awareness of, of the fact that you're at the center of all things. You're the one who is to be highly exalted above all, not us. God, I pray that your spirit would graciously convict us whenever we find ourselves tempted to, to push to the front of the line, whatever that looks like, wherever that might be, when pride begins to surge to the forefront. In your immense love, would you, would you put the, your finger on that and, and bring about conviction so that we might turn from sin and self and turn towards the one who has loved us throughout all eternity, the one who seeks to lift us up as we lift you up. God, we just thank you for our opportunity to sing the praises of Jesus today, to come and exalt the name that is above all names. And I pray that throughout this Christmas time that, that Jesus would, would be higher and more exalted than, than anything. That, that our busyness, our, our gifts, our gatherings, that none of that would, would distract us from exalting and lifting high the name of the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. We thank you, God, for sending your Son. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
getting baptized today would you would you come on up here to these front seats a minute as we get ready to get started baptism is we do we do this because it's commanded by our lord and savior jesus christ first and foremost in matthew 28 verses 18 through 20 jesus came near and said to them all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus has called all of his followers to follow in obedience of baptism. Uh, one way to define baptism, one confession says it like this. Baptism is the washing with water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It signifies our adoption into Christ, our cleansing from sin, and our commitment to belong to the Lord and to his church. When someone goes down into the waters of baptism, first of all, is that, is that going down represents the death of Jesus and going down into the grave, according to Romans chapter 6. That person's confessing, I deserve death, I deserve judgment of the judgment of God. But Jesus, through his church, is saying to the person, yeah, you're right, this is exactly what you deserve. But the person's acknowledged, I'm trusting in the power of God to raise me from the dead. And Jesus is affirming that in the physical act, of that person being brought underwater. They can't breathe, they can't, they, can't, they can't live down there. And so being brought up from the water by a power outside of themselves 
pictures our salvation by a power that, that we don't have, a power outside of us, that Jesus brings us from death into life. Every person baptized has now been identified with Jesus in his death, his burial, his resurrection. That person acknowledges, I was dead in trespasses and sins under the judgment of God, buried, but now I'm raised to newness of life because I am in Christ. And the person's identified with that final reality of dying and being buried. And then having one's name called and being brought up out of the grave. Baptism is a physical, visible sign of that. What happens in baptism is that Jesus is claiming this person as his own through the church. And we, the body of Christ, are announcing this is one of ours. This is our brother. This is our sister. They're, they're part of us. They're part of the body of Christ, the redeemed. So baptism is extraordinarily important. It's the initial rite of the Christian's obedience. But it's also a sign that builds up the faith. It's something to look back on, too, in those moments of doubt or temptation or discouragement. To look back and remember that commitment. Remember the body of Christ joining around you and celebrating in the, the, the visual representation of the gospel. One way of putting it is, is that when you go down and up, the, the gospel is visualized. The sloshing around in the water is the gospel being enacted, is being lived out and pictured for us. Every time we see baptism, we're reminded of the work of Jesus Christ, that it is finished, that he has brought all those who have trusted in him into newness of life. We have five folks here that want to um, share that and celebrate that here today with you. I'm excited about this. This is, this is pretty cool because, I mean, uh, on, on Christmas Eve, of all things, when a lot of times we can just be wrapped up in the busyness of things, we get to just have some extra attention brought to the gospel and what God's doing in hearts and lives. So I, I love that about doing this at this time of the year, to continue to put the spotlight on Jesus. And so, um, who wants to go first? When you, I, I, how about we'll just go in the order I wrote them down? How about that? I have Maybelline first. <laughs> Matt, can I borrow your long arms? I just thought about a mic for them. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll get in the water on this side, and it's warm. I, I felt it this morning. I actually almost went, took a swim in here this morning. It's really, really warm. It's not bad, is it? My hand's going to get wet in a second, so I thought maybe Theo might hold it. All right. So Maybelline, why don't you come on over here? Well, you're better looking than I am. So. All right, we'll turn this way and face everybody. And can you tell everybody why, why you're here today? Because I want to show everybody that I, wanna, uh, that I have Jesus in my heart. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Maybelline? Yeah. And you want everybody here to know that you want to follow him today. Is that right? Yes. Awesome. All right. Would you plug your nose? All right. Maybelline, based upon your profession of faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. 
Good job. Way to go. Your mom's got your towel. Mercedes. In case you hadn't tell, these girls are sisters. <laughs> and they've been wanting to get baptized for some time now, so I'm glad that we could make it happen. So Mercedes, can you tell everybody why you're here today? To show other people what Jesus did for my heart. That's awesome. And so you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Yes. And you, and you want people to know today that you want to you follow after him? Yes. That's awesome. All right. You can plug your nose. Based upon your profession of faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Good job. And now their cousin, Savannah. too bad, is it? <laughs> this, is, this is their cousin Savannah, and uh, she's been wanting to get baptized for a little while and had some conversations with her mom about this, and so when she found out her cousins were getting baptized, Savannah asked if she could join them today and, and make this, this commitment. So can you tell everybody why you're here today? To show that Jesus saved my life. Awesome. And so you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Yes. And you want everybody here to know that you want to follow him with your whole life? Savannah, based upon your profession of faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Congratulations. Dominic. All right, so Dominic, you, you can tell everybody why you're here today. Um, I'm here because I've been in the faith long enough, and I've been wanting to get baptized for a while, and the moment finally came together where I was feeling right in the spirit, and my family was able to be here as well. Now, can you tell this? Was there, it was kind of neat to hear your testimony the other night. Was there a point where you, you, you remember trusting Christ as your Savior, or is that something that you feel like has always been a part of your life? So my family wasn't Christian at um, from the beginning. Um, we, over time, I was when I was younger, about seven, six years ago. Um, I was going through some very, very bad mental health issues. Um, I was struggling with suicidal thoughts. We had tried just about everything under the sun, other than Jesus. We tried therapy, meds. Nothing was really working. So eventually, my dad said, "It's time we try church because it's the only thing that we hadn't tried." Um, so my mom pulled me into church, um, when I was, I want to say it was, I was 12, 11, around that age, and, um, first I didn't like it at all, um, but as time went on and I was in there more, um, I start, it started to click eventually. Um, I was, I can't remember the exact date, but I was in a youth, uh, retreat, um, and my pastor was talking about how Jesus is the bridge between heaven and earth and if you don't have the bridge you fall into the pit that is hell and um i didn't have a good understanding of heaven at the time but i had a good understanding of hell through different um life experiences um and that was kind of the moment where it really clicked of like i don't want to go to hell um 
and Jesus, he, uh, my pastor was talking about Jesus, and I told my friend, like, I want to learn more about this, and my friend didn't tell me, but he did tell my pastor that I wanted to learn more about this, and my uh, youth pastor, Ryan Hickey, came in, and me and him talked about it for probably an hour or two, and that was when I was, that's when I trusted the Lord for the first time. Awesome. Where do you go, Don? Just make sure you bend your knees. All right, Dominic, based upon your profession of faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Shauna. Shauna has a pretty cool story of what God's been doing in her heart and life over the past few years, and so I'll let her share that with you. Um, I, I wasn't raised in the church, but I was raised by a mom and dad, uh, mostly a mom, who shared God and Jesus with me. Um, when I was about fourth grade, I would, well, even before that, but my friend lived across the street from a Baptist church. So any Sunday that I happened to be there, it was a good excuse to put on her pretty dresses and walk across the street to go to Sunday school. About fourth grade, they asked if anybody wanted to stay after and be saved. And my friend walked home, but I stayed and talked to the pastor. Um, But then I decided, I guess, that that wasn't the path for me because I went on to live as I got older, a a sinful life, and I I did a lot of the things that you've probably warned your kids against, and I went out and just kind of sowed my wild oats, so to speak. Um, And then we had our first son, and we settled down, and Chris and I uh, had another son, and when we were pregnant with our third child, or what we thought was our third child, um, my sister was baptized here at the church, or at the pond, and um, Christopher and I and Lucas went, and Christopher really loved the music, and he said, Mom, I'd like to go to church so I can hear that music again, and I said, well, we'll ask your dad, and his dad said, I don't see what it could hurt. Um, we'd, We'd always thought we wanted to go to church. We both believed in God. We both trusted Jesus, but we didn't think we would ever find a church where people would accept us. Um, sorry. We had two children out of wedlock, and we were pregnant with another one, and we just kind of always thought church people were judgmental, and they wouldn't love us, and we'd be chased out of there on site. So we came the next Sunday, and nobody even asked if we were married. Nobody cared that we weren't, and everybody just loved us. And then we found out we were having twins, and That made its rounds around the church, and before I knew it, people I didn't know were bringing gifts for me every Sunday and just loving on us and showing us what true church Christian folks were. And then the twins were born, and everybody just kept loving on us, and nobody ever cared that we weren't married or that we were sinners. And it just, I finally knew what it was to be part of a church family and what it was to be surrounded by the love of Jesus. And then when Jeremiah offered this opportunity, it finally felt in my heart I was ready. And I was, it was time to put my sinful past behind me 
and focus on the future. So that's why I'm here. Amen. That's cool. And one of the cool things I love about Chris and Shauna's story is that um, probably, I guess it was a year and a half ago or so, I don't even remember what I was, what I was preaching about, uh, but Chris came up to me after the service and he said, um, you probably know that Shauna and I aren't, aren't married. And I said, no, I, I didn't know that. I actually thought you were married this whole time. And he said, well, we're clearly disobeying God by living together and not being married. So... Well, you do our wedding, and it was really a, a precious honor to be able to, to celebrate their wedding. It was just last year, right? Last, yeah, just last or, year. Or, yeah, year and a half ago, and um, and be able to uh, just it was just it was just neat. Like nobody nobody had to harp him about it. Nobody you know beat him over the brow. It was just the spirit of God bringing about a conviction, and and they took that step of obedience, and that was that was really cool. So we're we're and we just recently baptized Chris, and now we're excited to be able to baptize Shauna. And so you're trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Yes. And you're here to declare to everybody that you want to continue to follow him. Yes, I am. All right. That's good. Shauna, based upon your profession of faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. How cool. Make sure, body of Christ, you're loving on these to, before we leave. You're hugging. You're loving on them. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, stand on your feet. Let's do this one, one more time on our way out. You can even take this time right now if you want to come congratulate them and thank them for being obedient to the Lord. Amen?
God, I need it every day. It's the only thing that ever really makes me want to change. I don't want to abuse your grace. God, I need it every day. It's the only thing that ever really makes me want to change. I don't want to abuse your grace. God, I need it every day. It's the only thing that ever really makes me want to change. Your forgiveness It's like sweet, sweet honey on my lips. It's like sound of my ears yeah. it's like holy water your forgiveness it's like sweet sweet honey on my lips it's like sound of symphony to my ears it's like holy water on my skin yes yeah, like holy It's like holy water. What a great celebration. Once again, we're just so glad you've joined us for this special morning. We hope that if you're around, you'll join us tonight at 7 for our candlelight service. We'd love for you to be with us for that, that special time of worship. Let me leave you with this blessing as you go forth. And make sure, you, if you haven't done so already, stop in and, and just congratulate our brothers and sisters. May the hope of this Advent season fill your hearts with joy. The peace of Christ's coming be a light unto your path. The joy of the Lord be your strength in days ahead. And the love of God surround you and your loved ones now and always, as we await the blessed celebration of Christ's birth, may you be enriched in faith, nourished in spirit, and led by his guiding star toward the promise of salvation. Go forth in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.